Hi, hi, everybody. So, Joe, <coughs> excuse me. Um, you can cut out that cough. Sorry. No, I'll, I'll I gonna... just say hi, everybody. You got that clean. Hi, oh, that's clean. I like it. But I like it better with the cough. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Centralia Improvisational Podcast. I'm, I'm auditioning a new podcast voice. This is my late 70s, early 80s, Southern California, middle of the night FM radio DJ voice. All right, sit back and relax and listen to the midnight hour. We'll see how it goes. Today's guest on the podcast, the Centralia Improvisational Podcast, is Mr. Joe Schiappa. He's a longtime friend of Centralia. He is actually our intern, along with Megan Duringer, when we were writing our musical, Generica. Um, and he's gone on to write for many television programs. He's written many shows. He's a, also a pretty successful director and longtime improv teacher. And Joe and I share a love of comedy and the dissection of comedy. And so we're going to talk about how to be funny in your improv and break down some comic games for you. And we might even have a special visit from our good friend and Centralia member, Patrick McCartney, if we're lucky. So sit back, relax, hold on to your hats, look up at the stars, and enjoy the Centralia Improvisational Podcast. In northeastern Pennsylvania, there's a town called Centralia. Centralia was once a thriving coal mining community, home to thousands of people. But in May of 1962, a fire was started in a garbage dump near an open coal seam. The fire was thought to be extinguished, but actually continued underground, often releasing gas and flame to the surface above, until the town of thousands eventually dwindled to less than a dozen. The fire still rages today and shows no sign of stopping. The following podcast is in no way related to Centralia, Pennsylvania. And now, direct from New York City, an island off the coast of America, it's the Centralia Improvisational Podcast. Let me do my intro. You ready for it? Mm-hmm. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. I got Joe Schiappa. Hey, Joe. Hey, how are you? <laughs> Good. Joe Schiappa, <laughs> long go. time... Long-time listener, first-time caller. Mm-hmm. Welcome to the podcast. So um, This is the Centralia one, right? Yeah, this is Centralia. <laughs> Improvisational. No, no, Joe, you're on the daily. This is the daily. Oh, Michael Barbaro? Here's what you need to know today. I like Joe his Schiappa. voice. He's got a nice voice. Yeah, he's good. He's good. I just sometimes his uh, cadences are a little strange. Here's right, what strange. you need to know today. Yeah. yeah. Like, what? What did he just say? Anyway, uh, no, this is this is WTF with Mark Marin. Are we good, Mark? Are we good? Wow! I know back you in knew the Mark day, I, I called you an a hole. Uh, I apologize. Are we good? <laughs> That's very good. Good impression. Thanks. You knew him though back in the day. I did know Mark Mark Marone uh, back. How in did the you know day. him again? Through How, what was your through uh, Kirsten Ames? Oh, that's who, right. She was running. Um, a, a theater that we were artists in residence. It was called the uh, Nada 45, which was an all shoot of Toto Canada. What is that now? 
What's, is if that... Rosie, Rosie O'Donnell has her after school theater program now. Oh, so it's still a, it's still a, it's a theater still, space. Still theater space. Yeah. Like oh, that's we, beautiful. We had redone the space. You know, gutted it and rebuilt stuff and built a black box theater and all that stuff in there. And and Rosie took that over, which is and you know added, that's beautiful. Added stuff to it, but it was like that's, art. It's nice that it's not a Chase Bank, you know. That yeah, kids are using it. Well, it's on the fourth floor. It's hard to put a bank on the fourth floor. I've seen it. Mm. I've seen it. But um, anyway, Kirsten Ames, she was running that space, and we were the artists in residence. And then she was directing Mark Maron's solo show. Because she had had a pretty successful solo show, and Mark was sort of stepping out of the stand-up, mm-hmm. and and into and 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 she brought me on uh, to his show Jerusalem Syndrome to sort of do some video. He wanted to have an opening video, and he had seen Centralia or Burn Manhattan as we were known at the time, and liked our opening video. And he's like, "I want something. I want something like that in my show." That's cool. And so we collaborated on the opening video, and then I ended up sort of just hanging out and taking pictures, and I would videotape his runs of the show so he could watch them back, mm-hmm. and eventually we cut together like a film of it, pretty cool-looking film, and I was sort of like an unofficial um, a joke a doctor. Mm-hmm. I, don't know, I don't know what the word is, but like I would tell him what I thought was funny and what wasn't funny. And helped him punch up some stuff and set some stuff up. And, you know, just sort of do some joke stuff. Uh, but you, that's unofficial. There's a book of that, of that, right? He sort Of, of did Jerusalem like a book. Syndrome, and I'm not mentioned in the book. How dare he? I know. And when the book was published, I ran into him somewhere, and he apologized profusely. He's like, it's the biggest mistake. He said, other than Kirsten, the director, and him, he credited me with, um, you know, being most important in the show like having done the most work on it. Huh. And he was like, I, I can't believe you're not thanked in the book. And I was like, yeah, but you wrote the book. Like, <laughs> Yeah, but uh, who knows? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I That's, think he just, at the I, time, I just didn't think that my name should be there. But To be have. around that, you wouldn't have known how big, I mean, he's a household name now, but you would not have known then how big he was going to get. No, I just knew he was so funny. Oh, sure. It's fun when you're a teacher and director and you, you, you look at certain people and you try to predict who's going to give up in six months, who's going to be doing this semi-professionally forever, and who's going to get on the rocket. And usually you can't predict any of those. Well, there's a couple people that undeniably have talent, and I can count two or three of them that I had in class that I'm like, oh, you should go. They're going to be fine. Yeah. You know, Joe Firestone was a student of mine. Uh, Hannibal Burris was a student in a sketch class. Although he, he it was a weird thing. He, Hannibal Burris, it was, you, you ever do that summer? I did a summer, like, mm-hmm. uh, sketch writing intensive. I think you did it, right? You did level three, I did I level did, two. Yes, I did that in for many, many summers. I loved it. I really liked it, too. Because then you did the show, right? Yeah. I Yeah, so you would work with them for a week. Yeah. And then Hannibal Burris, I think, got SNL and then called the pit and said, do you have a class I could take? Cause I'd never written a sketch before. So he came and like wrote sketches. They were very funny. He just had not done sketches. I think he got SNL off his standup cause he was on a show. He was, he did stand up on the tonight show or something. And someone saw him and said, you should write for SNL. It's like one of those things. Like people are like, I submit a packet every year. It's like one of, you know, they were just like this guy come work, you know? And I think that that's happened to a couple people. I know we're chatting today about comedy in mm-hmm. improv, and the reason we're talking about sketch, for those of you wondering, what are these guys jabbering about? 
is the relationship between sketch and improv. It's important for us. And we mm-hmm. use sketch to get better at improv. We use improv to get better at sketch. And we're just going to talk about how each feeds into the other a little bit. Sure. And for, for, for you know my history, as I, I learned um, improv and sketch at the Second City, where the goal is to write sketches using improv. That improv oh. is just a tool. Mm-hmm. In fact, they don't charge for the improv show. It's free. They charge a lot for the sketch show. Mm-hmm. And every night you go up and you repeat your improvs if they were successful. Right? If you had a good one last night. You... So you never run anything down? Well, it's videotaped. Okay. Um, the guy who was the money behind the Second City sold audio tape recorders uh, to businesses long before they were commonplace. <laughs> Is that true? Yeah. A... Yeah, Bernie Sollins made his money in selling audio tape recorders or like, like... dictaphone Okay, stuff. so he didn't like work for Sony, who like had the Walkman. He he like business. Like yeah, like a salesman to put to all yeah. the Chicago businesses. Like you have to audio record your meetings, and they're like, "What?" He was like Ray Kroc, and then he saw somebody. How are you recording twice as fast? I'll buy the land underneath you, and that's it, how he got Second City, right? Exactly. Just like McDonald's. Uh, just like McDonald's. Um, but he so from the beginning they audio recorded everything at the Second City, and then when video came out, started video recording everything. So that was the dictation tool which is sometimes tedious to watch back but you watch it to sort of refresh your memory about certain moves especially when if you repeat a sketch and the laughs don't happen in the same place you're often you're confused why why didn't that work the way it worked last night and you have to go back and sort of see the structure right there's plot and then there's structure that sounds uh tedious it is me. tedious. It's incredibly tedious, but if I don't know if how well I would. <laughs> but if you're on, if you're on the trail of a great sketch, sure, it's worth it. So it is sort of like doing. A, it's a stand-up routine with other people, basically. Yeah. In the in the in the work part of it, not the you know, obviously you're not not in the performance talking. part in of performance, it. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. to go back and tweak it and be like, oh, this is funnier at the end of this sentence. It's funnier. Now I I feel like I never when we wrote sketches or when I've had, I, I always treated sketches the same as improv where you do it a couple times and then I would get rid of it. You know what I'm saying? Like, or get sick of it. So I don't wonder, did you get sick of the material or was it refreshing because you were able to adjust it every night? It's different. You have to adjust sort of your mindset towards it and you become more of an actor. Ah, okay. You know what I mean? It's like you're, 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 you're the improviser, uh, writer, in half of it and then the second half you're you're just the performer and then you listen to the director and you're like okay i'm gonna enhance this performance that's also and i say that process sounds tedious but also the other tedious process i always feel like is sitting around and just trying to punch something up so being on your feet and doing it sounds also more fun yeah and you know it's very loose you know when we talk about second city it's like funny will out whatever it takes to get the the sure. funny on stage and some people write stuff like when Odenkirk was there he would just write sketches and bring it in like we're doing this tonight and suddenly well, it's Matt Foley motivational right. speaker like he would just bring he wrote that, that for Chris Chris didn't have a scene or something right, right. and then he wrote that yeah, yeah. Chris Farley like yeah. I knew him but um yeah that's, that's that legendary thing he just brought it in and Chris he knew he would knock it out of the park yeah so all right let's talk about let's talk about Matt Foley motivational speaker sure what what makes it funny? Um, I think the concept of a motivational speaker who is a sad person is funny. Right. Because we've seen up until that point, I think motivational speaking was new. 
And I also think motivational speaking was always Tony Robbins, someone in complete control. And Matt Foley clearly is not in control of himself or in control of his message or his own life, which I think is inherently funny. It is world's worst blank. Right. Which I think a lot of sketches boil down to, right? Well, it, like the Key and Peele one I sent you, what's the world's worst substitute? And then it's twisting it in a way that people haven't seen before. I think world's worst often comes from a, a having a strong character. Right? And, yep. and strong mm-hmm. characters have big flaws. Yes. In both comedy Huge. and drama. Like without yeah. flaws, there's nothing to fix internally or externally, right? Most most stories, now it's hard to get all this in a sketch, but most stories um, involve a character trying to fix a problem and it's internal and external, but usually they have to fix the internal stuff first before they can solve the external problem. What is he trying to fix internally in that sketch? Well, he... Or do you think that, that that's maybe a movie concept too? Yeah. Because you could say that about... Yeah, it's tough. You know, any Jim Carrey movie or... Adam Sandler movie, what's he trying to fix internally? Yeah, because, I mean, the rule with sketches is just, it's got to be funny, and you know it's funny if it's getting laughs from the audience. Sure. So some of the structure doesn't matter, but in that scene, structurally, he says many times, I live in a van down by the river. Right. And his goal is to be a good motivational speaker. Yeah. And to get, in order to do that, the family has to come together, and the the family ends up coming together in the end to lock him out of the house. Yes, against him. So he's su- which he brings them together. Yeah, yeah, he's successful, but not in the way we would expect. He's successful because he says, "I'm going to move in with you guys. I'm tired of living right. in a van down by the river. I'm bunking with you. I'm bunking with says. you. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and he goes yeah. to get his stuff, and they lock him out. So he is successful right. in that he brings the family together, just not in the way we expect, which is just such sharp writing. Which is interesting because in when they bring him back, right? I remember one where he's like at a gym and he's riding a bike through a wall. Mm -hmm. They focused on him falling onto the table rather than what you're talking about. Right. Right. Because the falling on the table is not, he falls on the table in that. I always remember just him speaking, but he falls onto a table, right? In the, yes. In the, in the TV version of it. In the TV version, he falls, which Bob Hodenkirk hated apparently. Yeah. Because that wasn't in the, that wasn't in the original. It wasn't in the, but I think falling through the table is what everybody latched onto, not the, other stuff which you're talking about, which is the internal struggle he's having, trying to get these people to listen to him. Yeah. Which I think is why that first one works so well and the other ones don't. Is there anything likable about his character? Because he he wants it really bad. It's funny, and I wonder what you think about this. I think Chris Farley is likable. Yes. So I wonder how much... He's never never had a hateful character, right? right? Like in the same way that Chevy Chase is smarmy and smarter than everyone and the only likable character he kind of has is clark right from vacation Mm -hmm. um uh and adam sandler's likable in a way but also like kind of smarmy i guess you would call it smart or stupid smarmy i guess chris farley is always likable so when you see him you like him already because he's big and he looks like a teddy bear Mm -hmm. so i think the visual element of of him makes you like him already and then the idea that he's desperate in a way is funny yeah, we've all been desperate. He's he's definitely a low status guy, and I think super low status. But in what supposedly should be a high status character, which is one of the funnier, comedy, which is why yeah, it's it's low status person in a high status job, right? It's that sort of play opposites. You know, I always like this sort of analogy of like Superman having to iron his cape. Yes. Yep. Right. Or an ordinary yep. schlub having to save the world. Right. It's someone 
you know, ex- the extraordinary made ordinary and the ordinary it, made extraordinary. I, there's a great script by Robert Smigel. He wrote a uh, Green Lantern movie. What? Have I? I can. I might have it somewhere. Um, I forgot where I got it. It's really funny, but it was for Jack Black. So in the beginning, you know the concept of Green Lantern, the aliens pick him, right? Yeah. Give him the ring, yeah. whatever. So in the beginning, there's they're searching the world, Earth, and they, they it's all these people that would be great Green Lanterns, right? Like a guy saving children, and, and but it lands on a guy working at IKEA, and it's Jack Black. And it's super funny, and it's what if Jack Black became the Green Lantern, right? So great. So that's an easy comedic conceit is like exactly what you're talking about, which is like the ordinary made extraordinary. And I think a lot of that, like that movie Hancock, I have a, a lot of movie references, but like I think that's one of the things I think about all the time in terms of sketches is like, can we make the ordinary extraordinary extraordinary ordinary? It's an easy way to like tap into something or at least start brainstorming. You know what's funny? World's Worst is difficult because you would say, I always think of Spinal Tap, right? They're not the world's worst band. Mm-hmm. They're the worst at being professional rockers like they're they're inept in that i don't know they're they're not bad at playing the instruments when i say that to a class people think like the world's worst magician is someone that doesn't know how to do the tricks but it's not about that it's the guy who keeps taking a call from his wife during the show of doing the magic tricks you know what i'm saying like that's the world's worst or the guy they, they always do the thing where like the inappropriate party clown well that's not that's just not the world's worst i guess that is but it's funnier if the the party clown is doing like a baroque French clown at a children's party. Like that's, that's a, funny. That's, that's a better. Funny. Yeah. That's the world's worst clown. There's a to bit me. of there's a bit of satire in that too. It's sort of making fun of the elites and the art estates. All right. So that's we did world's worst. Yeah, world's worst, and also ordinary. That's one. Ordinary made extraordinary. Um, which fish... I wouldn't say is necessarily a no. It's a like comic a structure, but it's a it's a tip. It's a tool. It's a tool to use. I think if you look at most sketches, you can see either the world's worst or ordinary made extraordinary, right? Like the um, another sketch is the Kate McKinnon uh, abducted by aliens. Do you know that oh one? Oh my God, yeah, of course. So that's the ordinary made extraordinary, right? She's abducted. What if the world's worst person is like the worst sort of trashy person <laughs> abducted by aliens, right? And has the worst time. And it really works because the other t- people are having a beautiful, had a beautiful time with the aliens. Right. And she's been ridiculed dumped naked uh, house (laughs) it's like this amazing confluence it's just like each beat it gets worse for her yeah and the way she's sort of talking about it she's sort of relaying it as a woman who's seen it all who's had a terrible life already this was the icing on the cake which i think is it's a great comedic conceit to take that woman and put her in an alien abduction it's the contrast of the other two people's experience that makes it and it becomes easier extreme. to write that, right? Like the beats are, you know, we set up one person and they're like, it was wonderful. It was religious. They were, took me by the hand and showed me what love is. And then they talk to the other person in a similar experience and then it's her. So you've already ramped up the tension of like what's yeah. going to come. And, and we're already laughing because we see what she looks like. Yeah. Uh, she's li- She's lived a hard life and then her story and then they go back to the other. You know, it's a nice... It has a very beautiful structure of just escalating each time, and it's very simple. It doesn't take too much to and that's understand a tr- it. It's a very tricky thing to improvise that kind of structure because our impulse yes. is always to be the funny one. Yes. And it, it, it takes two beats of it was beautiful and I loved it and it was nice to get to 
you know, they touched me in my bathing suit area. Right. But do you think you could, it's hard to say this maybe, but could you get to that scene in an improv scene? Could you? If, if that scene was improvised, just you'd have to tweak it. it. Yeah. Yeah. You'd have to then go back and say, you know, the third beat will be a bigger laugh, right? Because there's definitely a connection between tension and release of laughter, right? And drama helps create tension. Right, right, right. Right? Being being having your characters further away from their goal creates tension. And so you have to use that stuff to get a big to get a bigger punch. But in the moment when you're improvising, the instinct is what's the funny thing I'm gonna say about the aliens? I wonder yes. Yes. And it it yeah. probably would it probably be like the aliens were smelly, you know. The aliens barfed on me. Right. The, the aliens touched me in my privates. Like right. those are your three beats as opposed to beautiful, beautiful touched me in my privates. Right, right. Yeah, I'm just thinking like, I'm thinking my instinct in the scene, although I do think in scenes we've done, in scenes, it does, one person needs to be grounded for the other person to be insane, which I don't mind doing playing either role. You know? But yeah. most improv scenes go to crazy town because of the nature of saying yes and or trying to be funny well yeah those fall into a couple categories you know one is world's worst you're the world's worst whatever right. you know you're the person behind the counter mm -hmm. that's supposed to help me with my problem and you're the world's worst at it yeah then i have to be the opposite otherwise everyone's crazy right you need, right. You need someone reacting to that so so we just understand the concept that you're the world's worst and i'm not Right, 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 right. Or it could be simple but impossible task, right? Right. Where you're given a simple task that becomes impossible, like my task is to get my problem solved and you're you're in my way. Right. Which is, I would say, the easiest sketch premise to improvise most of the time. Because a simple you but just impossible task? Yeah, you just have to be a barrier in someone's way. Obviously, collectively being in the same space, story-wise. Right. But getting in someone's way. Yeah, I, I think simple impossible task is like, you collectively especially in teaching class or doing a simple scene you as long as you're it's character based and you're not just doing the task it is pretty interesting to get character stuff out of that yes like the laurel and hardy the best example of laurel and hardy getting the piano up the yeah. stairs the music the, box the music box which is still funny yeah um although no one gets uh, the, uh, the obsession with kicking people in the pants like i guess that was that was <laughs> a thing of, that was the height of uh, offensive. I guess it still is, I, I suppose, if you kick someone in the ass. Then, especially yeah. a cop. Still funny. Uh, still funny. I, you know, I was watching a... Um, uh, there was a little horror movie on TV. It's on some cable channel. But they had... Uh, there was one where someone was coming around to ask them if they wanted to join the army. And he's like, stay strong. We're, we're going to join. And then when the guy comes around, you know, Oliver Hardy has left. And Stan is just standing there trying to not be seen. Like, it was just a beautiful moment of, of like, beautiful, like, simple comedy. And I think the simpler, I think impossible task is a simple way to, like, have a scene. Yeah, a lot of times, you know, it's funny because we often think of old-time movie, um, you know, for, for the clarity of simple but impossible. But it's, I mean, it still happens today. I think often we see it... Um, of the three different types of conflict, right? There's a character versus another character. Yep. So one of those characters could be the the thing making your task impossible. Yep. It could be a character versus a whole world. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm just trying to, um, you know, get through the DMV 
And yep. everyone at the DMV is incompetent, right? So a simple mm-hmm. task, getting my license which is, renewed. There's a uh, Portlandia sketch, which sort of maps to that, which is the post office, um, where Vanessa Bear is trying to get some a package that she was left, a note was left for her that there's a package at the post office. And they're and almost they, like creepy horror film characters. Yeah, but in a way that if you've ever been to the po- post office, the guy, you know, she gets up there in front of Armisen and goes, wait a minute, and he disappears. Yeah. <laughs> and then they both talking about it. And then she's like, let me, and she has like a million keys. She doesn't know what, like just the incompetence of the post office. My father, I said it to my father-in-law, he's obsessed with the post office. He goes all the time. And he brought it to the post office and showed it to them on, the, on his phone. He was like, hey guys, you want to watch this? This is you. This is you. <laughs> and I think it was one, it's true, but it's also a simple impossible task that we all can kind of identify with. Right. I think that show is a good example and you could use it for improv of everyday things made big. Or yeah. like they amplify things that you normally don't think of, like the 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 guy who makes sushi at the airport. He was like a high end uh, Michelin star chef who makes stuff <laughs> sushi at the airport. Like there's just very funny details of life that I think if I was you know if you're looking for like something to see how you can take things from your life and make it something for an improv scene, I think that's a good example. Portlandia. Yeah, it's a great show. Um, I just before we get because there's a third type of conflict. Please, sorry. But the second one, there's another example, although Portlandia is probably more relevant. Mm-hmm. I, I always think of um, Woody Allen mm-hmm. uh, trying to rob a bank. Yep. It says gum. And, this says yeah, gum. He, yeah. He writes a note, and his, his penmanship is so bad, right. they can't read the note. And so they're debating what the note says, and, and one by one, all the staff come over to read the note. Right. So it's really his, his incompetence. Maybe it's mm-hmm. his flaw that he can't. You know, he's in such a rush, he doesn't take time to write the note properly right. that prevents him from getting what he wants. So the third type of conflict is a character versus themselves, yes. which we see more often, I think, when we talk about simple but impossible task. Um, in the movie Swingers. Oh, the, uh, the um, answering machine? Yeah, John yeah. Favreau Great is told, example. wait three days. Yep. It's a simple task, wait three days, and yep. he can't do it. And he keeps calling the girl whose number he right. got and leaving these messages, and they get increasingly crazy. And turns out she was listening in the whole time and says, don't ever call me again. Yeah. Um, you know, Matt Higgins of Centralia had a great, always had a great example of, like, in a simple impossible task, but, like, there's a character and there's a new cake you just baked, and you're like, mm-hmm. I have to leave the room for a minute. Do not eat that cake. Don't eat it. Don't, and you see this all the time, like, don't do something, and you know they have to do it. Yeah. And how they're going to do it, you're building that suspense, and you can't wait to, like, how they're going to do it. So I think that is, don't eat the cake, is a great thing I think about a lot. Well, that's the thing, you know, going back to that idea of, we said it with Matt Foley, that we know what's going to happen in the end, or at least we know what the goal mm-hmm. of the character is. The The fun is in finding the unexpected way to have that happen. Yeah. That's sort of where being an improviser, heightening and exploring, taking the third choice before you just eat the cake, because the scene could be don't eat that cake, and then you just launch right into the cake, and then the second beat of that, you know, the person's got to be come back, and either they have an argument and a fight, or they're like, well, I got to make another cake. Okay, don't eat this cake, which just is a repeat of the first beat. Right, right, right. Right, whereas you could just make the entire thing them dealing with their internal conflict of wanting to eat the cake, needing to eat the cake, but not being allowed to eat the cake. I guess my instinct is always they immediately fall into the cake like it wasn't their fault. And then the hiding, what is their fault is them trying to hide what they did, right? Well, that's like, where, Yeah, that's where the choice comes in. That's right. sort of like where your personal taste comes in. There's certain things that are true, 
right? You're talking about Portlandia. They take things that are true, that we can recognize as true, that going to the post office is a nightmare. Um, and then there's things that are that are uh, funny. Right. Right, that we know is funny because the audience is laughing at it, and maybe right. they laugh because it's true or whatever. And then there's this, the, the personal section of it, which is like, What's your take on it? What's your spin? Right. What are you, you as an improv slash comedy artist? What is your personal point of view on it that makes it different? Right. What, right. That's your choice, which is ultimately your your best skill is, is sort of yeah. exploiting your point of view. It takes a while for people to tap into what they, one, what they think is funny and two is not something they saw on TV already. And I mentioned this before, but I think when you start improv, you're kind of pretending to be an improviser in a way, or you're doing stuff that you think is funny rather than doing what. Oh yeah. We all like fake pulling, it till we make yeah, it. Yeah. You pull it from your life, you know? So I think that, I don't know. I, I think the best scenes I've been in is like when I've referenced something that I know a lot about or oh, that was yeah. specific about it. And then it became something. And if the other person, it was even better if the other person didn't know it, they sort of heightened it and went with it. And I think those scenes became. Oh yeah. Gold. I mean, I think uh, I, I love reading. I love reading history books and, and other books. We get it. You read. And, and one reason is I love being able to tap into a vein sure. or something. I'm going to endow a character with all the knowledge that I just had from this book. When um, you read the yeah. game, all your scenes were about negging people. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, Joe, that would have been funny if only you were a little bit taller. Oh, oh I like I, you more. <laughs> I got the game. I'm on point. Oh, my God. Um, um, sorry. So we talked about simple but impossible mm -hmm. task. We talked about world's worst. Yeah. Is there another comic fish out of water game? Yeah. Fish out of, fish out of water might be my favorite to see. Yeah. So a good example of that fish out of water is, um, and I said it to you or the substitute from key and peel, right? Uh, would you say that's fish out of water? I would. Yeah. Or is that simple and possible task? That's a good thing to talk about. Actually, It's, it's tricky. It's tricky. I think it is fish out of water. Um, because largely fish out of water is about a character encountering the rules yes. of the new place. So that's perfect because he sets it up. He goes, I usually teach in the inner city and I'm substituting here today. So he's already said to the audience, I'm a fish out of water. Mm -hmm. He literally says it in the first line or whatever. Mm -hmm. Let's just go through. And the simple impossible, it kind of melts the two because he, all he wants to do is take attendance. And yeah. they will not allow him. Because... He's pronouncing other names wrong. Yes, he's pronouncing their names wrong. He, the name Aaron with two A's, he pronounces both A's as A-A-Ron. Right. And I wonder, what is the comment? Like, what is what are they saying as a whole? Because I, what I like about Key and Peele and what I've said to classes is that the unique spin they put on it in reference to what we just talked about, which is the put your own spin on it, is what is it like to be biracial in America today? So yeah. it wasn't so much about, and I've also heard people say other things that it didn't go far enough, Right about race in America, but yeah. I think um, it it toes the line between making very big statements about race and then also having sort of these slice of life. And I think that's kind of a convergence of the two is that sketch and that yeah. the names are different at the inner city high school that he taught at. And he's now at all this all white school where he's pronouncing the names the same way, but it's, they don't understand why. So it's sort of the not understanding culture. And like, I guess you can also say there's a, there's a level of, um, the system being flawed, right? Yeah. So, um, I don't know. I just think not only is it funny, but it also saying something bigger and also tapping into their experience, which I think is Well, doesn't incredible. he use the word churlish in that? Yeah. Like, it's a, it's just a strong character. 
huge, uh, yeah, uh, as well. And that he's reacting from an emotional place, and that he's getting increasingly frustrated with how hard it is to be this substitute on this particular day. Right, and you that know, the they're comment, wrong. Like he never yeah. once says, "Oh, maybe I'm pronouncing this wrong." He's like, "No, they're wrong." Yeah, this is I'm in control here, which is the same thing. Sort of the Matt Fo- to loop it back to the Matt Foley is that he he thinks he's in control, but he's not. Yeah, which is fun. It's super comedy. Fun. Comedy is watching a guy in trouble. Yes, of course. Is the old and cliche to dig, and try to dig himself out but fail. And it's he should not be getting as emotional as he is yeah. in this situation. Yeah, so it's yeah. sort of having a huge reaction to something small often is a great way to get the ball rolling comedy wise. Right. Um, and then the particular, you know, just the particular language he uses as that. Again, I, I'm obsessed with the word churlish. He uses two words, doesn't he? He says something subordinate and churlish. Insubordinate and churlish. churlish and it's so a great. throwaway. Like he's like, he said after something and you're being insubordinate and churlish. Oh, we didn't talk about a simple one that I like. Go ahead. The collision of opposites. Sure. Which is like the odd couple, a messy guy and a neat guy yep. that are now roommates. Yep. It happens right. in most dating sketches, right? Yes. Like the chicken lady from um, Kids in the Kids Hall. Kids in the Hall is a good example, I think. Is you show up and it's a lady who's a chicken, but she's it's super ha- horny. Have have chicken. Uh, you know, have lady or, have chicken is a a good collision of opposites, I guess you would say, right? Yeah, uh, or you know, I, I was just thinking like a, a cockpit of a of an airplane, right? Yeah, it could be it could be high stakes because you got to keep people's lives. Yeah, uh, you know, you got to keep them alive mm-hmm. and um, keep people safe. I think is what I was trying to say. So you'd have one pilot who's a cool guy pilot. Mm-hmm. There's some truth to that. I like sunglasses. I like flying. Yeah. And then you've got the other pilot, the co-pilot, and let's say she's by the book. Right. She's like got her glasses on and her 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 notepad, and she's uh. going check check check, and they're driving each other crazy. Yep. She doesn't like that he's too laid back. He doesn't like that she's you know by the book, making him wear his seatbelt and other stuff. Like, why are you smoking a bowl? You know, it's not a bowl; it's a hookah. Um, you know, <laughs> I was thinking I, that variation of that same scene could be. The fighter pilot, like the Tom Cruise from Top Gun, and then the guy who just got his license. Exactly. Exactly. Who's just like nervous, and he's like a dad, and it's yeah, like the but, other but guy they're, who's they're like stuck goose. together. Yeah, they're stuck together for they whatever reason. Sh- they have a shared objective, right. right? To fly the plane. To fly the plane. Right. To keep everybody safe. That's that's the tricky thing with a collision of opposites is getting people a reason to stay together. Yeah, and, and stay in the same room and not roommates. leave. Well, the odd couple is right. interesting just as a show because at the end. They say each other's wife's name. Good night. Good night, Sheila. Good night. Like, and then you realize that the whole time they've been substituting their relationship for their marriage, which is, yeah. I guess, the form, which is beautiful. And that's why beautiful. they end up staying. Right? There's like an emotional reason there. In a sketch, you don't have much time. So, like, the flying the plane's a great example because you, you have to land the plane. Yeah. So, you got, you know, the nerd who's flying for the first time and you've got the fighter pilot. And the bad version is you're like, well, you guys both won the contest. You both get to, you know. Oh my God, that's so terrible. Never, <laughs> hey, young improvisers, if you're listening, never have a contest. Yeah. If you do have a scene that is set at a contest, never get to the, con- to the contest. Well, the we don't thing. care about the contest. Or the dance don't class. Care. Don't ever do the dance class. Don't, don't ever, ever do, do the, the dance, dance class. class. Yeah. It should be just about two dance teachers talking about anything else that dance. Yeah. It could be just after, okay, class, you're, yeah. you're dismissed, and then have a discussion. That was the worst thing ever. Right. And it's like, I don't know salsa. Right. 
You know, I'm, I'm here because I just read the game. Yeah. <laughs> I'm here to pick up ladies. Yeah. I've never formally, other than taking classes maybe with you at Second City and then with Martin DeMatt, I don't think I've ever formally taken. I think I, you figure it out kind of working, one, working with people better than you that know it, but also you kind of, if you look at comedy and kind of think about it, you kind of figure this stuff out as you go as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's yeah. good to think of it, obviously, and to have the structure, and I'm not putting down taking Well, class, I think but... what happens with a lot of people, you're, you're relying on instinct, and, you know, Patrick McCartney, who's a big fan of this podcast, I think he's on it often. Um, he's a guy who doesn't like to analyze comedy. And there's plenty of people that don't. And I think for them, they're, they're afraid they're going to kill the frog by dissecting it. Sure. Because they play on instinct. But what ends up happening, uh, at least what happened for me, is you end up playing the same type of scenes over and over again. And sort of having a, a wider yeah. palette of comedy allows you to go in some different directions, especially if like you want variety to your scenes or your improv's getting flat. Just knowing what the specific other moves are that are out there, even if you don't know how to use them Absolutely. yet, gives you a direction to go in. I'm going to try doing this. I'm going to try just being the setup for someone else's punchline. I'm going to be the first two beats for a while mm -hmm. because I understand comedically... I got to get to the world's worst person's response in order to get the laugh. And my character isn't that person. And I think that is great. Another thing is to set up. I think it's okay to say to yourself, I'm going to work on this, this show. You know what I'm saying? Like, or oh agree God, as a yeah. group to say, let's just work on this element. I think it's even, uh, yeah, uh, I think it's even fine to sort of, before each show, go, go, go down the list of what you're working on that night. Yeah. So you understand each other. And if you've got two things that are in opposition, of course, you make the adjustment to say, you know, well, I'm going to only work on loud scenes. I'm only going to work on quiet scenes. It's right. a two-person show. Somebody's going to have to give a little. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but, just, but also so you're not surprising your partners with some ulterior motive because you don't want to be in your head, right? You want to you want to be playing. But I think certainly as you're, you're learning, which you should be doing forever, get a library card, um, you know, you, you, you should be out in the open about what you're working on, what, what you're trying to get better at. Um, that's get great. Get a library card. Um, is there any other type of, uh, do we go over enough fish out of water examples? I think so. I mean, we see it in movies a lot. You know, it's the it's city every, guy yeah. whose car breaks down in the country. Right. It's Doc Hollywood. It's, uh, legally blonde. Great example. Um, it's, um, Beverly Crocodile Hills Crocodile Dundee. Crocodile Dundee. Anything Beverly Hills. Beverly Hills cop. Yeah. Beverly, Beverly Hills, Hills hairdresser. Ninja. Beverly Hills ninja. What's Beverly I don't Hills? know why everyone's Australian in all my well, What's titles. Beverly Hills hairdresser? That sounds great. It hasn't been made yet. Is that a guy who, or I guess it's uh, Don't Mess With the Zohan, right? It's Don't Mess With the Zohan. Right. <laughs> it's, That's it's a, a Israeli guy, I punch your face. I'm That's the hairdresser. A, what a funny, that is a funny fish out of water, is the is. Israeli Mossad agent that wants to be a hairdresser. Yeah. I kill you with a look. Yeah. Uh, who wants to be a hairdresser. Exactly. He wants something. What's Zoolander uh, then? Is Zoolander, is Zoolander, he's not a fish out of water. He, you would say he's a pea in a pod with the other. With the other models, definitely they're all dumb models. Right. But I guess but it's a model. he has to save the world, He right? has to save the world, right. So I guess it is a fish out, he's a spy. I mean, again, the movie Spy with is a fish out of water, right? The the woman that doesn't necessarily oh, have totally. the techniques to do it. Um, totally. 
Yeah. She's great at it. She oh, ends she's up amazing. Very, May, very good. Very good at it. Another, you know, another obvious device that we haven't talked about, which is a kind of tricky one. It's something I call the, the personality surprise. Sure. Uh, I'm sure there's other names for it, but it's when a character is behaving like we wouldn't think. Right. They would, like a spy acting like a supermodel. Right. Or, or the target lady, the Kristen Wiig character, right? Like you wouldn't yeah. expect her to leave her station to get something that you just bought. Exactly. And you can heighten it to to the point of where we, where, you know, if it's it's a character, we would understand what their personality should be. Right. Um, and then give them personality traits that are opposite of that. Right. Um, I'm trying to think of a good example. Like uh, if at the post office, we would expect the post office worker, the cliche is they're slow, they're disorganized. Right. Is that we he, would, he's a one-man postal machine? Yeah. Or he's um, he's really into uh, hip-hop rapping. I don't know if that's... That's probably a terrible example. The, actually, the hip-hop rapping is often... I like saying hip-hop rapping, by the way. Mm, very hip. It's often we see it with senior citizens. Yes, that's the easiest... That's the easiest thing. I mean, they did it in the Jackass movies where the senior citizens are out of control or they right. lose their clothes. Yeah, it's a surprise of it. Yeah, yeah. That they're exactly. doing something young, which I guess is the joke. That's the joke. <laughs> like you wouldn't see them doing something young. Because we, yeah, we, or we wouldn't expect it. The, the other example is like Sophia from the little old lady that has a filthy mouth. Like that's right. the surprise. Or the, of it. The, the lascivious nun. Right. Who's Absolutely. sort of whispering like, "Oh, I like I like those tight pants on you." Right, and you're like, "What?" But you're Sister Margaret, the cloth. right? Yeah, yeah. And the, and the trick is, it's not fish out of water. It's not like a nun at a strip club. That's a different right. It a is a different movie. I would pay to see. It's great. It's a it's a fish out of water. A nun, um, because... but but a nun behaving sort of like that while still in the nunnery, still in the place we would expect a nun. Are they still called nunneries? I have no idea. I've I've not kept up with. Um... Yeah, how they're um, my uh, my non knowledge ends at Hamlet. Hi, Joe. Pat, hello. How are you? Nice to see. You. I don't think I've talked to you in a long time. Uh, this is a question for Pat. Yeah. But Pat, do you mm. think so? You come so I, I think I can speak maybe for Kevin in that we come from a different background. In that I'm not coming from an acting background. I'm coming from an improv background. Like I don't mm. never take a formal acting class. As an actor, because you're one mm. of the best actors I know. As an actor, do you lean into the funny or do you find it as you out of the character of performing it, if that makes sense? Like in the middle of a scene, are you like, oh, this character, um, I, there's something, it, it's always from a, a, a place of character for you. Would you agree? Disagree? I think uh, I, I think when we talk about finding the funny, I usually, you know, that that's, that's finding the game or finding what I call the pocket of fun. And right. Then, like, once we've found that together, we just explore and heighten it. How do you know when you found it? Is it the audience laughing, or is it you and your partner sharing a wink and a smile, or just I something? I think there's just, like, what, I think it's like a pocket, like a, like a... Like in your gut? Yeah, I think you and I will know when that thing happens, that unusual thing that we want to explore and heighten. And as long as we're both in agreement that that's the thing we want to explore and heighten, then we will explore and heighten it. As long as we have the awareness and the encouragement from hopefully teachers that that's the thing you want to explore and heighten. So understanding the game is super important and understanding how to play it or the when to play it is also very helpful. 
but also being in agreement with your partner that here's an opportunity to really explore and heighten this thing. How do you All learn? How do you learn when it's time to to play the game when it's a, when it's appropriate? Is it just you like take my class? Oh boy. <laughs> Oh my God, Pat's it's... been trying to get me to take his class for twenty <laughs> like years. Pat, take my he he just wants anybody. He just wants, he'll take anybody. <laughs> yeah, Kevin, take my show up on Tuesdays. It's, uh, two Tuesdays, to four. Loose fitting pants, no slacks. <laughs> <laughs> do you think? Do you guys think you need to play game in order to find the funny? Because I've had s- situations where no. Definitely not. Okay. But that's what find the funny means to me, having um, ah, the see. background that I have. Gotcha. When I teach find the funny or, you know, I, I'm like, find find the funny and then, you know, do it a lot. Explore and heighten. I think if you have a good premise that everybody's sort of on the same page with, and when I mean premise, yeah, I just mean a good idea. Oh, my God. I, think... I love premises. I mean, specifically, Shiapa. There's mm-hmm. a thousand times I can uh, mention uh, when you would come in and we'd know the premise instantly, you know, like you're the dean of the college. <laughs> right, right. And we're the out of control fraternity. <laughs> right. Yeah. But that's not finding the funny. That's saying, here's a here's a funny premise. Let's go with it. That's right. Like yeah, that's true. Announcing am, the funny. I am announcing the funny. You know, one time Jay was Dean Martin. And he was the pro. He was singing about the <laughs> provost, and oh, I yeah. still makes me laugh because I also think Jay is really good at impressions, which he never does. So, getting back to this idea of announcing the premise versus finding the funny, is right. it? I mean, it's it's sort of a, a philosophical divide. Would you would you say that's true? That some people are like you cannot announce a funny premise. And then, no, I think that's great if you come in and and if I if I come in and say you know and during group game if I come in and say hi class uh, and we're all on board you know my name is insert funny name here I'm giving you the opportunity to hopefully make fun of whatever yeah. my I think that's name kind is. of essential when you talk about full group scenes you know you've got six to twelve improvisers on stage. And everyone's being polite and no one's sort of stepping up right. and saying what the scene's about. It doesn't go anywhere. <laughs> and we need that one person to come out and say, this is what our scene's going to be about. Let's do it. Right. And then you, yeah, yeah, I think you're totally right. Uh, um, and then you sort of discover the aberration along the way, right? So if I come out and say, hi, class, my name is... Dr. Fallis, and you all get an opportunity to make fun of of whatever the name is. Uh, and then we all, you know, you choose a character, and Kevin does the guy who has a cold all the time. This is the worst <laughs> class ever. Yeah. <laughs> I think I just did that guy for a class I was teaching. I was like, all right, everybody, I was just teaching this, like, group game, and Somebody come out as a teacher, and then somebody come out like this guy. Excuse <laughs> me, Professor. Kevin's go-to this, this, character. This guy. Although, and the German. The, do your German guy. Uh, Which oh German boy. guy would it be? It was there this, you go. this guy, this sort of aesthetic guy. Yeah, so the, I have this guy. This is actually based on a real guy who was, I worked briefly for the Museum of Modern Art at the PS1 space, and he is now one of the curators of MoMA. And his name was Klaus. And it's just this guy. Werner? Bounty hunting is a complicated profession. 
I was trying to think of like one of my favorite comedies recently. I mean, the ones that I think made me laugh out loud that I could reference right at the top of my head was The Jerk. And sure. The Jerk, is, would you say that was character-based or what would you say, Joe? I think that is based in a very specific character that is written that they were like, we could hang a bunch of gags on this. Because that movie is not really about anything other than... It's a little bit of a hero's journey. Sure, absolutely. And also a a fall from grace, I guess you could say. Yeah, I think Joe's Joe's hit it with the idea of the, you know, each, we say hang gags, like each scene has its own separate comic premise where sometimes it is character-centered and sometimes it's fish out of water. You know, when uh, there are snails on her plate. Right, right, right. Right, where it's like he's the rube and he's total total fish out of water, but he's taking high status. And he, there's that the cat juggling has almost nothing to do with anything, um, but then that's in it, and that's just a gag. But those things of... explore and heighten. So when he's oh, leaving, remember when he's when he's leaving the rich the the, the mansion or whatever. Yep. This is all I need. This right. is all I need. So yeah, yeah. he could just exit. He could exit. But instead, he he finds the funny in just leaving. So he explores and heightens how he's leaving. Right. And it's so funny. That's a really good example, Pat, of a scene where like it's taken to the the nth degree. One of my favorite jokes is to say, "Here's the truth." Like a character says, "Here's the truth," and then their actions betray that truth. He says, "I don't yeah. need anything," and then he yeah. goes on this giant list of mm-hmm. all the things he needs. Right. Lists. Lists are fun. Lists are fun. In terms of duos, Pat, I'll ask Pat this question. Do you, did yeah. you did you ever work with Bob Dassey? No. Did you know him? Uh, I worked, I think I did a couple of sets with him, but he's wonderful. And Stephanie Weir. I, I was yeah. in L.A., you know, in the early 2000s, like visiting a friend, and he did a show at Improv Olympic. And uh, yeah. I saw Weird Ass, him and, and Stephanie. Right. And it was the best improv sh- one of the best improv shows beyond other than Centralia I had seen where I was like yeah, uh, I unbelievable and there was three people in the audience watching it me and two oh my other god people. you're kidding yeah and I was like oh what do you and that was another th- learning thing where I was like what do you have to do to like <laughs> get yeah, people exactly. to come to your show and Stephanie Weir had been on Mad TV by that point I'm sure oh absolutely and she was like I'm sure she was she's a working performer but it was like I it was three people in the audience and I was like oh no one I think this is something where you just kind of, you do it to do it. Right. Like, right. that's what I've told, like, I I do it to, I, I, I would say I, the byproduct of, uh, of improv has made me money in terms of performing and probably writing, but the actual improv has not made me money, but it didn't matter to me. That didn't matter as much as doing the thing and doing a good, and being good and having people, like, I remember I did a, a faculty show with, it was just me, Ali, and Sarah Nowak, and I had people come up to me to tell me how good it was for two months afterwards. And I think I ate out on that for a couple of years. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like, I think that yeah. was worth, that was worth it to me. Or, yeah, or us, when I've guested with Centralia and you and we did that one where we were stuck in the internet and people come up afterwards and like, oh that's the best improv show I've ever seen. I'm that like, was one of the best sets I've ever done. It was a character was stuck in the internet. internet and they had to find Robert Loggia. Robert Loggia. Actor Robert Loggia. And it was uh, Apocalypse Now, basically. There was a moment where you turned into um, 
Dennis Hopper from Apocalypse Now, and it's what I was thinking. I was like, we did it. Yeah. Like I almost, I'm we almost gonna knew. cry. I'm almost gonna cry. It's so corny. I'm almost gonna cry thinking about it because I was like, yeah. you we did all it. Knew, you we knew. You knew exactly what we were what doing. Was happening, and we all at the same time, and we went in without any hesitation. And I think Matt became Captain Kurt. Like he, he knew what to do. Yeah. Too. Matt went crazy. Yeah. It, we all had the right archetypes. It was one of those setups where like the performer. It was the best performer for each of the roles yes. at that time. Yeah, and we, that to transcend that too, and I'm sure you would agree, is like is is a reward unto itself that that we can take all of what not only what's great about Centralia too is like you can take you guys are all so different, but you could take all these backgrounds and then you meld it into this thing that would not exist had those people not been together, and then not only that but also have a common language. So you're looking at a high level view and then like even like a down. That's incredible. I think that's incredible work. And like, yeah, there's no other work that kind of uh, that I could think of that would take that into consideration. Because even in a corporate setting, when you're coming, I worked in some advertising, things like that, where you're like coming up with ideas, people like it, it just never works like that. Like it just never works with the group is coming up with this amazing thing that the audience is witnessing. And then it transcends even the room. I think that's incredible. So um and, and profound and i i feel like i'm an outlier in the world of improv that most people are like never talk about the funny don't address the funny but i honestly feel like if it's if being funny isn't the goal of it we're kind of wasting the opportunity because improv right. being spontaneous is gonna elicit laughter so you might as well lean into that and go for it now i'm not saying i think one reason why people say don't be funny or, or don't think about the funny is Sometimes it's not. And then it also, it pushes you away from storytelling or any other uh, emotional spaces. I'm mm -hmm. not saying abandon that stuff. I think you have to have that stuff to make it even better. I think, I love a show that makes you laugh and cry. I think that's the best possible show you could do. And tap your toes and, and hum a tune. I, I think the thing, I think the thing, when people walk into a class for improv, I think the thing is they think, they they've seen television so they have all the all the things they think is funny right like they and i think that's the first level of them and i, th I do think like level one beats it out of you by kind of like yes and give over to the group and then i've seen people uh when they've gone deeper than that just start naturally being funny by being funny in the scene um, and then they can lean into it. Would you agree that's true? Like, do you think, I think people think they know, most of the time what people think is funny is not funny. Like, I think what they think is funny is not <laughs> going to get a laugh from people. They try it and it's like, they do like a weird dance or they like make a reference to something they saw on TV and it's not funny. Yeah, it's something that made their friends and family laugh. Right. Which is only funny in the like, context. Have you ever had a stand up in an improv class where you're oh like, my God. you kind of have to... <laughs> Michelle Wolf was the worst. No, was she? Uh, no, no. No, she no but great. I've had people who are like, I come from stand-up, and then they're like doing their bits in the scene, or they like, yes. they always the worst go is negative, or they go, yes. that's always first. make fun of everybody. Buddy, right, or it's like oh. the roast thing. And I'm oh, not saying upset. that's not, can't be funny, but. Yeah, or they're trying to fit joke structure, set up, punchline, tag. Right. And it's like, that doesn't work in every improv scene. Um, I guess yeah, no. I, I yes, yes. I agree. Stand up for bad people. A, a, they are <laughs> just in general. in general. It doesn't matter. Ultimately, it's like what's funny between us. 
no matter how you get there, it's like what's funny between us. That 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 should erase all language, you know. Good chat. All right, Joe Schiappa, thanks for coming out. How do people find you, Joe? Are you doing a podcast? Are you Instagramming? Are you on Twitter? Uh, you can find me on uh, on Instagram at, at Joe Schiappa or at uh, Joe Schiappa at Twitter. You know, I have a lot of videos up on my um, my uh, JoeShiappa.com where you can see all my TV stuff. Um, so, uh, yeah, you can check that out. Or, um, you know, during the – I've been, uh, you know – uh, nursing uh, my clinical depression during the uh, pandemic. So there hasn't been too much up there, but, uh, you know, my therapist says I can get back to it soon. I'm so glad uh, that you did this, and I want to do a set with you soon. So I hope yeah. that happens. Thanks. Uh, I'll talk to you guys later. Uh, it was a pleasure. Uh, you guys are the funniest people I've ever met. Right back That's at you, sure. brah. All right. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. of the Centralia Improvisational Podcast. That was Joe Schiappa. Be sure to check out his stuff, Twitter, Insta, his website. Uh, it was very nice of Joe to take the time to, to talk comedy. We hope you learned a lot. If you have any questions, any answers, uh, find us on the Facebooks or uh, on, on the Instagrams. Heck, why not? And we're on Twitter as well, Centralia Improvisation on, on Twitter. Send us a message. Let us know what you like, what you don't like. If you want to support this podcast directly, you can do so on our page on anchor.fm. Otherwise, like, subscribe, tell your friends, tell your enemies, tell, tell strangers on the street. Um, and thank you so much for listening. We know you have a lot of options for, for podcasts, and it means a lot that you're taking the time to put us in your ear holes. And we'll see you next time on the Centralia Improvisational Podcast.